Did you guys bring beer to the podcast tonight or something to drink? Because if you're anything like me and the rest of uh, Carnation, you are probably consuming that by the buttload right now as you watch your once promising football program seemingly burn. Matt's drinking water, Vince a little bit of brown. No, this, no, it's the lighting. I've got champagne, actually. Oh, a little champagne in a, in a beer glass. Okay, I like it. Well, welcome in. I'm, from I'm classy seats. over here. <laughs> classy, Matt. I guess that's where we're going for this episode. From the Pink Seats podcast, I am Jacob Lane. That is the beautiful voice of Matthew McGavick. And, of course, Vincent LaCoco is here as well. Um is not the episode i was hoping that we were going to have i feared that this uh, not to this magnitude but i feared that we would have a doom and gloom podcast where uh everything is just changing at the rapid speed that it has and uh unfortunately here we are that has become a reality we're going to dive into all of that a ton to get into a bunch of news uh surrounding the program louisville got their asses kicked by kentucky so we're going to dive into that reluctantly of course uh, but fellas first of all how are we tonight all things considered, you know, doing fairly well, but the week is still young, so you never know. Ben, the beard's looking good, man. <laughs> Thanks. I finally got to get it cut after having COVID and stuff, so I'm, I'm, feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling much better. You know, it was nice to get out and socialize outside of the ass kicking. Yeah, well, we're going to dive into all of that. Again, a ton to get into. There's transfer news. Uh, there's head coaching news. The carousel is spinning rapidly. We've got a new segment to debut tonight. We're going to dive into what happened on the field. Uh, we heard the, the term, we're not fitting well. We're going to find out what that means uh, in depth as we look at, uh, again, the ass kicking that was Saturday night against Kentucky. And then who knows where we'll go. We'll see where the Lazy Rivers takes us tonight. But first, uh, the segment is called the Hero of the Week. Each week we'll hand out. Um, our favorite hero award to somebody who has done something admirable, whether it be on the field, off the field, whatever. Uh, and this week's hero of the week, our first ever hero of the week is Jack Harlow. Do you guys know why Jack Harlow is our first ever hero of the week here on from the pink seats podcast? Because he is a man of the people. I, I'm going to go with the fist bump with the uh, UK mascot. That's what it, I'm going to go with. Well, the, the fake fist bump. Yeah. You are spot on, my friend. There was not a single thing out of this uh, game that was worthwhile, worth watching. Um, but this video that started going viral late um, on, sun on Saturday evening, Sunday morning, of Jack Harlow, who was in attendance for the game, is, is as far as I know, when Jack Harlow has been in the building, Louisville has done really well. So this is not uh, his fault. Let's get that out there. This is not on him. You know, Bill Murray was blamed for a lot of losses, not blamed on him. Um, but Jack Harlow was there and uh, went in for what looked like a, to dap up the Kentucky mascot and then threw an L up in his face. So, you know, L's down in the stadium everywhere but Jack Harlow. Jack Harlow is our first ever hero of the week. Do you guys feel like he is fitting of this award? Oh, 100%. Jack Harlow, and I'm going to give an honorable mention to the people that helped the police officer who was following up. Did you all see that video on Twitter? No, I'll, I'll, have, to, uh, I'll, I'll have to retweet this one. In, in our in our stadium, there was a uh, police officer that was trying to climb up the rails to get to somebody to kick somebody out and mm. fell backwards like twice. It, it I did see this. Pretty good. Mm. Yeah. And then the cheerleaders so, catapulted him up. Yeah, exactly. So honorable mention to them. Yeah. Our, our honorable mention for our first ever hero of the week goes to the Louisville cheerleaders. And also there was another cheer, cheerleader who threw an L's up uh, in the face of one of the Kentucky guys as they scored their 19th touchdown. So kudos to her. <laughs> All right, let's jump into the big three. Lots of news today. And by the time this podcast airs, 
and is being uh, listened to by your ears. That, who knows what could have changed by this point? The transfer portal is growing by the minute. But let's go ahead and go to the news. Matthew, please take us to headline number one. Big three. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big three. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Headline number one. Louisville wide receiver Jordan Watkins enters the transfer portal. Now, I think. All of us here expected there to be some level of transfers. I mean, that's just the nature of college football nowadays. You're going to have players leave your program. It's just a matter of who, how many, what position. Just it's it's going to happen. Like no program is exempt from this. But this was shocking because this was someone who not only was productive on the field. I mean, he was second in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns on the team. But he was someone who had been propped up all season long, maybe not as like maybe a star, not really a star. That's probably not the right words, but in in like promotional videos, promotion, like marketing tools and whatnot, you've always seen Jordan Watkins front and center at all these things, like flashing up the 502 when he scores and things of that nature. And he was billed as one of the, top young talents on this team, someone to watch out for moving forward, especially building off of a really solid year that he had. And he's gone now that I expected some guys, maybe like an, an occasional role player to hit the transfer portal, some career backups, but not someone like Jordan Watkins. This, this was stunning to me. Yeah. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. You look at it. He's the second leading receiver on the season. Uh, he's in his what they're calling a COVID freshman year, really a sophomore season, played in almost every game last year, started every game this season. It just doesn't make much sense. People have thrown out the NIL thing. Maybe he's more valuable elsewhere. Doesn't make sense considering the fact that he's a local kid. Would imagine that his marketing value is probably never going to be uh, worth more than it is here now. Uh, the, there's the lack of adjustments in the offense and maybe he wasn't being utilized correctly, which we can dive into that when we kind of talk about this thing as a whole, but this is um, this one hurts a little bit, especially before the off season really even begins. I mean, we're not even to the bowl game yet. Um, and Jordan Watkins is already putting his name in. Uh, it feels very much 2018 ish uh, when the, the, the guys started to slowly put their names in the portal. Um, and then a few of them came back, which hopefully, you know, Jordan Watkins is kind of, uh, leaving that option open, but as long as he doesn't go to Kentucky, I guess we can move on from this one. You know, it's, it, it hurts, but uh, there's definitely other guys at that position and a wide receiver is one where you can find guys just about anywhere these days. All right. Now let's, let's just move on from that. Then on that, and on, bleh, on that note, headline number two. Now this one was kind of lost in the shuffle because it pretty much was announced around the same time that Jordan Watkins even entered the transfer portal. Eight Cardinals receive 2021 All-ACC honors. Now, considering Louisville kind of put together an eh product on the field, I was actually surprised that eight guys were named. But going down the list, it kind of makes sense. But first and foremost, I'm glad that Caleb Chandler got the recognition that he deserves because he's not only been the best offensive lineman this season for Louisville, but he's been the most consistent. I don't think he's had a single bad game. I was a little bit surprised to see Yasir Abdullah as second-team outside linebacker, considering he's, I think, had the most sacks for a Louisville defender since 2015 or something like that. Yeah. And Keishro Clark, man, 
didn't play the last, what was it, three games of the season and still named, still named second team all, all ACC. I really think he'd have been first team feeding healthy the whole time. Mm-hmm. Marshawn Ford at third team. Cole Bentley in honorable mentions. CJ Avery, honorable mention. And then the two safeties, Cole and Duncan, honorable mentions. As much as average of a season as Louisville had, it was nice to see all these guys get their individual recognition. Yeah, the eight players uh, on across four teams – I mean, it's it's not like they're necessarily all at the at the top, but still, it's a lot of talent on the team. And to finish six and six is disappointing. Uh, kudos to Yasir Abdullah for having a monster senior season. I think him and Caleb Chandler both have uh, cemented themselves as draft picks in this year's draft. Uh, Cole Bentley likely will get a chance to catch on with an NFL team. Same with CJ Avery. So uh, kudos to those guys. They put up numbers. They did what they were asked to do, but it just wasn't enough um, from a team standpoint this year to obviously be better. Uh, Last headline here as we wrap up the big three headline three from WDRB, Eric Crawford uh, headline reads Louisville football has a Kentucky problem and it's not just mental. Uh, Eric Crawford does a great job of detailing what the last several years of the rivalry between Louisville and Kentucky has looked like the sheer dominance of Kentucky. Uh, you could see it out on the field uh, each of the last couple of years. Um, and on Saturday, we all thought it would be different uh, based off what we saw against Clemson and North Carolina state and Virginia. I know a lot of those games were losses. In fact, all those games were losses. Uh, Louisville played well, moved the football, were able to do things in the trenches that showed improvement. You thought they'd be better against Kentucky, uh, but my God, we were so wrong on that. Uh, the rushing numbers, the score were absolutely gaudy. Um, and over the last three years, Kentucky has has rushed the football for 1,219 yards. That's three games, 153 to 44. They've outscored Louisville. They've averaged nine yards per carry. Uh, and during that time, Louisville is 0-3. And Eric has quotes in here. Um, from Scott Satterfield that, um, you know, Scott disagreed. He didn't think that this was a a game in which Louisville was physically outmatched. Uh, What says you? Personally, I thought we were completely outmatched. I mean, and it really showed in the defensive line side with Kentucky's offensive line. We don't have a single defensive player that's over 300 pounds. And when you go up against teams like UK and Clemson, that's where stuff like that's going to end up biting you in the butt. So we're – we were just definitely physically outmatched by these guys, and it was very disappointing to see that. Yeah, it reminds me of this quote from a Shane Beamer earlier in this year. You guys might have even seen this. It was fresh off of South Carolina's loss to Georgia, where I don't even know what the score was. All I know is that South Carolina got their ass beat. And then some uh, in his postgame pressers, someone in the media asked like, like how their defense was able to be successful or something to that effect. And, and Shane Beamer just – didn't give a coach speak answer at all. He just straight up said, Georgia's got a bunch of dudes and there wasn't anything schematic wise that outmatched them. It was just, they were straight up more physical and just had the dudes to win the one-on-ones on every matchup across the line on every single play. And that's what it felt like in this game. I, there were maybe a handful of plays where Louisville contended on at the point of attack on the line of scrimmage with Kentucky, but play after play after play on both sides of the ball. Kentucky was just the, flat out the better team in the trenches, point blank period. And, and winning the trenches is like winning the rebounding battle in basketball. If you win that more often, more often than not, you're going to win. And Kentucky won the battle in the trenches by, by a decisive margin. It's not even close. Yeah. And, and there was just so much about this game that was just confusing. And, um, you know, I completely understand 
Uh, I don't understand what it's like to have to go and coach a game, um, learning of the passing of your father, um, to which obviously we we hear send our condolences and our prayers to the Satterfield family. I can't imagine what that's like, the mental impact that that has on you every single second. I can imagine that Scott's mind was not in the game and who could blame him. Um, But to say that from an offensive standpoint from Kentucky, you weren't prepared to see the run or you didn't really expect to see Will Levis run the football, um, to hear Will Levis say things like that, you know, that they saw on tape, Louisville was exposed to, you know, kind of the same play that they ran the whole game. It just screamed inexperienced, uh, incapable of of preparing for that kind of competition. Um, and it just really sets the uh, really, 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 really bad taste in the mouth of Louisville fans who are already looking for a reason to get off board, most of which have by now. Um, and now we've got an interesting offseason here. All right, let's move into a quick, uh, abbreviated version of Vince's game notes where we put the the film on uh, and look at the X and O's from Louisville's uh, performance on the field. Uh, this is an ugly one, Vince, and um, I don't think we need to spend too much time <clears throat> in the details because the details, not that we are here to glorify when it's good and not talk about the bad, but the details are pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, in the words of Marshawn Lynch, uh, they ran through a, a MMF first face. I mean, it was just over and over and over and over and over and over again. See, I couldn't go back and rewatch the game regardless because yeah, for this, whatever reason, ESPN, ESPN plus now, we need, we need to have a talk at some point <laughs> going into next football season. But what I did watch was a 10-minute highlight clip on YouTube where they had all the big plays and stuff like that, and I quit watching four minutes into it when Chris Rodriguez ran over. I mean, it was one of the – probably one of the top five, if I had to, like, list a couple of them, like guys getting trucked in that stadium. It was just awful. But – uh the writing's on the wall. I mean, it was a terrible game for us. Offensively, we couldn't get anything going. UK's D-line was just eating us alive. And even whenever we could get balls off to our receivers, we had that one big play with Amari Huggins-Bruce. I mean, just nothing really that was that much exciting. It was just an ass-kicking, quite frankly. There's not much more to discuss about it defensively. I was just disappointed in the fact that we couldn't adjust to that draw with Will Levis. I mean, that's where we talked about how bad losing Monty was going to hurt us. And I think that would have been a huge game for Monty right there. We probably would have had double digit tackles Mm -hmm. because we would have stuck him right there in the spy and in a spy position. And you, you just can't leave CJ and Dorian Jones out there on the, on an Island like that. And like any, halfway decent mobile quarterback which is what will levis was known for at penn state that's what he was utilized as at penn state was a running quarterback so how you don't see that beforehand i'm just i'm just baffled i left that stadium just completely speechless and felt like i got punched in the gut because of how poor of a performance we had out there on the field uh, like I said earlier, not having any 300-pound players defensively is going to kill you whenever you're going up against an SEC uh, offensive lineman. I remember whenever we played LSU my uh, freshman year in 2016 in the Citrus Bowl, and we did a community service event. And I mean, I just remember looking over, being like, "Wow, that that's an SEC, that's an O line right there. Like these dudes right here." And that is kind of what I'm starting to look at. It's it's with Kentucky, like they're, they look like an SEC football team. Now they, they are an SEC football team and we just can't compete with that unless we get bigger, faster dudes in there at that interior line position, I would say. 
So, I mean, overall, guys, it was just a terrible game. I, anybody out there could break down some game notes on this one, to be honest with you. <laughs> Let me ask you this in, in specifics because, um, and again, Scott Satterfield clearly not in the right place mentally to go and have a press conference and deal with media. You could hear in his voice that something was up almost immediately. His answers were very short, but he talked about that they didn't fit well all night on defense. Um, can you just explain to our audience what it means to fit and what that means in the run game and what that uh, means in, in uh, relation to Louisville's defense and what they're trying to do. Well, when he's talking about fits, he's really just talking about the linebackers and safeties and everybody's gap responsibility. You know, you can't see a gap open and be like, oh, I'm going to take this gap right there because at this collegiate level, that gap can close at the blink of an eye. And next thing you know, you're pinned down and you have just created an even bigger hole for that offensive lineman. And you did exactly what the offense wanted you to do, which is basically what Kentucky was doing. Dorian Jones wasn't fitting right at all the entire game. CJ had his moments where he was fitting right, but you know, Dorian hate to single him out was kind of all over the place. And, you know, a young player like that, I wouldn't be surprised at the moment might have got to him mm -hmm. and, a big stage, full capacity crowd like that, the moment could have just watching his feet. It was too, uh, too antsy, too quick of a movement, you know, and whenever you over pursue and you overfit, that's when things start going wrong. That's why football is the best sport in the world because it takes all 11 on the field working at the same time for a product to be uh, productive out there on the field. So you could say that not fitting well is kind of like, uh, in this instance, kind of like the uh, basketball equivalent of playing hero ball, trying to take the first kind of opportunity you see to yes. make a play. Yeah, it's not making that extra pass. Yeah. Kind of in a sense. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's like not making yeah. that. You got an open shot, but are, do you really have an open shot? Or does this guy over here in the corner have a much more open shot than you? Did, did what you see on the field, um, was it, in your opinion, lack of preparation? Was it the, the talent not being there? Um, was it a scheme thing? Like what in your mind was just missing? Because it's very clear from the second they stepped out onto the field that there was just an imbalance of talent. I, I don't think it's the talent. I, I think we have the guys to be successful. It's just a size matter like the, the freshmen we have now are not big enough to make an impact on that SEC level of a stage. You know, Ashton's just not, he's just not big enough. Uh, Desmond Tell isn't height wise big enough or width wise big enough, you know, I, that that's really where I think it is. And that's why I'm so excited for this next class of kids to get in so we can start to develop these kids as quickly as possible to try and get them out there on the field for a more productive product than what was out there. And here, here's a question for you, Vince. And we're, we're talking about fit and size and whatnot. Say, say the Louisville defense played the fits as perfectly as they could. Does that even make a difference with how much of a physical mismatch the game was? I, I really don't think so, Matt. I, I think that they're just so much – they were so much bigger, faster, and stronger than us that it wouldn't have played a difference. And that pains me to say because I have so many UK fans that are going to give me hell for saying that. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. I mean, it, it, it's true. Um, I, I got to say, we talked about this leading into the show, and I, we, we highlighted the importance of being able to cover Wandell Robinson. They didn't cover Wandell Robinson, guys. Ooh, I, don't know if anybody is, I don't know if any of us are surprised by that. 
but uh, definitely going to need some work at corner this offseason. That's got to be an area of, of addressing. To be fair, this would have been a perfect matchup for Keytrail Clark. It, it just sucks that he was out. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. It would have been a really fun matchup to see those guys go head to head. And, uh, whoo, buddy. All right. Well, we don't have uh, any more positive things to really get into because um, the rumors of transfers the last couple of days, uh, the last 24 hours, obviously came to fruition a little bit this morning with Jordan Watkins. There's been rumors of other guys of prominence potentially jumping into the portal. We've not seen that happen yet. Any update, Matt, while we've been on the show that you that you know of any portal movement? The only thing that I have heard, and I know a couple of the guys who there have been rumors about uh, were Ben Perry and Travion Cooley. Um, just talking to a couple of people like around the program and, and with the program directly. Uh, ben Perry, from what I understand, is not going to leave. And I mean, and as of today for Travion Cooley, and as of today, he hasn't entered the portal, but from what I understand, I, I, I'm not sure if that could be a thing or could not, but all I know is all I was told is that he's not in the portal. So I, I'm, I, I can speak with less certainty there, but I'm just saying now there, there's going to be more transfers. Just like, as I, as I spoke earlier, like there's in every cycle, this is, it's the nature of college football. Now you're going to have players leave the program, especially with the one-time transfer rule in, in effect now. Yeah, I mean, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of players transfer over the last couple of of days and weeks, uh, and there will be hundreds and thousands more. Um, It'll be a lot like college basketball this offseason with NIL now obviously being in effect for college football, which it was not last offseason. So really, there's going to be a lot of change here, regardless of program. But obviously, now the microscope is uh, really, really on Scott Satterfield. Um, a lot of talk today about potentially making a move and does Louisville pull the trigger? Does Vince Tyree think that, um, you know, it's time to, to, to move on from Satterfield. And, you know, I think it was pretty clear that we, that in, in our conversations as a, as a podcast here, that we felt like Scott Satterfield needed more time. Um, quite frankly, guys, I think the Kentucky game really expedited that timeline and really has sped things up in a not so positive way for Scott. Um, and I understand that, uh, you know, Scott's going through a lot of personal things right now, um, with the passing of his father and obviously being there for his family and that comes first, but, you know, um, with the coaching carousel spinning as fast as it is the last couple of days, we've obviously seen big, big names move. Um, Louisville's got to figure something out. And really there's two options, right? You, you fire Scott Satterfield, um, and you make a hire, but to do that, you've got to have a move in your back pocket. And the question is, does Vince Tyre have the Jeff Brom card ready to play? Let's be honest. I, I don't want to be a guy that speculates on head coaches. Um, but I'm going to right now in this moment, that's the first call. Is it not? I mean, that's what everybody's talking about. It makes the most sense. That's got to be mean, Vince's go-to move, right? The, I mean, the, the, here's my two cents on it. The, the Yes, theoretically, if Satterfield were to move on or get fired or, you know, insert adjective about being let go here, Brom is 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 1E through the rest of the alphabet on the coaching list. I mean, that's the only person I can even think of who could even be in the running right now is Dave Ragone, and I'm – not entirely sure that he would leave the Falcons right now. He seems to be doing well as of late, but here's, here's my thing. 
you don't intentionally make a move on Satterfield unless you know damn unless you're a hundred and ten percent sure that Jeff Brom is coming to Louisville. And even then, I'm not sure even moving would be the right the right call, at least for right now. I'm willing to wait until at least the bowl because I mean transferring out before your postseason game is not as common as transferring afterwards so you want to see like if there's going to be any more activity between now and the bowl you want to see like how the bowl itself pans out and then you can start to to reevaluate things there and make a more concrete decision i mean before the kentucky game i was all for like yeah stat deserves another fourth year i still think that but i'm not telling people who who don't think so that they're crazy anymore. And you're exactly right. That brings me to the second option, which is Vince Tyree says, you know what? It's only been three years. If we don't have the eight win season in 2019, uh, expectations aren't kind of uh, pushed forward by a few years. You remember that you were once a two and 10 team with the worst defense in college football history and you understand this is a much more uh, encompassing, full encompassing rebuild than uh, maybe anticipated. However, that's not the case. Scott Satterfield proved that he could win. Now, that was not his team in 2019. Vince, you know that that is true. That was not that was a team that he inherited. Very and true. so you you wonder, OK, Scott Satterfield instantly has the most talented team he's ever had in his entire life as a football coach. Uh, the day he steps field and uh, steps foot into Louisville. Okay. They do really well. Year one, it speeds things up. They're a disaster year two, but it's COVID year, year three, they go six and six. Okay. It's bowl. Okay. You're really kind of back at square one, but you're going to a bowl game. Now you keep Scott Satterfield and you say, Scott, buddy, got to fire your boys, man. You got to make some moves. We got to go out. You got to go fire or excuse me, hire an offensive coordinator. You need to probably make a move on the defensive side of the football. I don't know if that's a coordinator. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. I don't know what that is. Obviously the news of court Dennison is not good, which that's a whole nother story that I don't even want to get into tonight. Uh, That takes us down in a negative rabbit hole that we just can't seem to avoid these days in Louisville. But uh, my point being is second option is you keep sat and you say sat, you have to change your entire philosophy. You got to pull a Chris Mack. You got to fire your friends, fire the guys that have always been there with you. And you got to go out and you got to hire guys who can come in here and help you win. Um, what I think most likely happens is scenario two. I just don't think that, that, you know, I, I can see a scenario where they wait a few weeks. Like Matt said, you go to the bowl game, you see what happens there. Um, because quite honestly, there's a lot of movement right now, but Louisville's not going out and, and poaching a giant power five coach, right? Like they're not going to go out and hire Mel Tucker or, you know, steal Jimbo Fisher from Texas. So it's not like you need to do something right now, you know, in the, in the words of Presley Meyer, let the cake bake a little bit. Give the bowl game to Scott. Give him one more opportunity. I know that it's going to probably be against East Carolina or um, somebody along those lines, but still give them the opportunity and then what? say, make changes with your staff and go out and recruit some freaking 
225 pound linemen, Scott, on defense. We don't need any more 280 pound defensive tackles. Give me a Ted Washington or two. Give me a 375 pound defensive tackle who is walking out with his belly rolls hanging out. But damn well, you know, he's going to fit the run gaps with that big fat ass. Like that's just going to how it's going to go. We that's what I'd need to see this offseason if you're going to keep Scott Satterfield. You got to be fired up, Jacob. <laughs> it's simple. Like the you thing is, if, if Louisville fans would just chill, like just yeah. like in the words of Aaron Rodgers, just relax. relax. Like it's so easy to emotionally react. Like, look, I've been a Louisville fan my entire life. I was not raised on getting my fucking ass kicked. Excuse my language, mom, if you're listening. By Kentucky. That's what we did. That's what Louisville did. That's what Louisville did for all those years. And so to see that, yes, it emotionally charges me up. But I listen to people like Adria Adelson uh, today on the on Mark Ennis' show who know college football say, I don't think it's in Louisville's best interest to move on after three years. The precedent that sets for the coaching hiring at your school really just over-rotates the carousel. You're starting from square one over and over again. I think you give Sat one more year and you let him make some changes on his staff the hard part is you, we've seen what happens when you have one year to make coaching hires. That's what, that's what happens. And you get to end up hiring a Brian Van Gorder when you know that you have one year left and you got to hire staff. Yeah. That's what happens. So we don't want that, but we need staff to start to hire a proven staff. Um, and, and maybe that changes things. Here's the other thing. Here's the best case scenario. Okay. I'm going to lay it out for you. I think you guys know where I'm going to go with this, Matt. I know you know where I'm going to go with this because I've talked to you about this. The best case scenario for everybody right now, whether we're, we're talking about Scott Satterfield or Louisville fans is for Scott Satterfield to go to Duke. It's the best thing that could happen for both sides. Now, is it going to happen? I haven't seen anybody mention Scott Satterfield as a candidate at Duke, but Scott Satterfield talked about last summer, what drew him to that job. And South Carolina was the proximity to his family. Duke is a program where you can go as a football coach and be six and six, seven and five, eight and four every few years. And they are going to, they're going to love you. You're going to be able to stick around forever. David Cutcliffe should have retired nine years ago, but Duke kept him around because he won. Um, It's a, it's close to his family. It's a place where he can go back and be in his stomping, you know, stomping grounds and really be able to kind of have the program his way. Um, That's the best case scenario. Does it happen? I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I think that 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 should only happen if you know for a fact you get Jeff Brown. I still go back to that. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I have some sort of inside track or inside knowledge to Jeff Brown's inner thinkings, but I think you don't intentionally move Satterfield, spend that money, which you don't have, by the way, unless you know that you can get Jeff Brown. Right. But if you're Scott Satterfield – and you don't want to get fired and you know what's going on in your personal life, Durham makes a whole lot of sense. They talked about on the broadcast against Duke, how close it was to his family, that, that, that was just a, you know, 30 miles or something. Um, and he talked about it last off season and that was before everything that happened in his personal life. So you just wonder, you know, again, the reason why Duke makes sense is because of this kind of atmosphere that Scott Satterfield has built, this family. My fingers, you guys can't see me, but my fingers are, are together right now over and over again. Yes, the family together um, of wanting to, to do things in this kind of app state way. It can work at Duke. I don't know if it can work at Louisville. 
with that being said, I'm if Satterfield has a plan, I can go for one more year if we can see some serious change. It, I think that their App State way can work here. It just has I to do be too. the right guys. We need some more dudes. Like you've been preaching, Jacob, those 300-pound guys. Big nasty, yeah, yeah, big nasty dudes. Those hog I, mollies. <laughs> yes. I also don't think he's going to leave for Duke, though. I, 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 no, I don't either. I, I, I don't either. That's going to be – I don't think he even wants to mess with that. Our, our mess – the mess he walked into here was enough for him. I don't think he wants to walk into an even bigger mess. I, Duke's probably worse. But yeah, no doubt, in, no doubt. And I don't want to sit this, here and act – before you go on, Matt, I don't want to sit here and act like I'm saying that Scott – Satterfield would you know that that job's more attractive I'm just saying if Scott is so ingrained in kind of this way he wants to do it he wants to keep his coaching staff together that they're his close friends you can go do that at Duke and they will be fine with it Louisville it's not going to work and the the reason why I don't know if it's going to work I agree with the, the sentiment that you need more dudes but there is a, a nastiness streak that's missing here if somebody needs to send Sat to like I don't know, somewhere where he can just get a mean streak to him because we're just missing the edge that once was what this program was built off of. The edge, the mentality of the chip is always on my shoulder uh, that no one believes in me. Right now, what Louisville has been is just, oh, shucks, man. We did good and I'm proud, you know, and that's just not who we are as a program. And Matt, sorry, I know that was a long-winded way of cutting you off, but I just had to throw that out there. No, but it was kind of going back to what you said. I've, me personally, I think the perfect opportunity, the not perfect opportunity, the perfect. Oh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now. Maybe it's the champagne kicking in. But I think, in my personal opinion, Satterfield needs to stay one more year, but there absolutely has to be staff changes. On maybe on both sides of the ball, but on defense more so than offense. As for Brian Brown, I mean, we've seen what the defense was capable of. Hell, the, the defense was a top 30 defense last season, and they looked better in spurts down the uh, down the stretch in the second half, minus the Kentucky game, of course. So there is real potential with, with him. So I don't think you fire him. But there are some assistants under him who, who probably need to get get the pink slip. I I've tried like on this podcast avoiding calling position coaches out by name who probably deserve to get the boot. But you know what? It's probably to a point where I don't have. I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'll start on offense. I think two holds got to go because you've got Marshawn Ford and who else in that tight end room? No one. Yeah. And special teams has been all over the place it was especially bad last season and then now this season i mean i guess in the punting game it's gotten better i mean marginally and then all of a sudden james turner can't hit a field goal more than 50 yards now granted that is that is kind of hard i know 40 yards man you're giving no. too much credit 40 yards yeah. okay but you get the idea sure. and then on, on and then on defense i know there's probably a, a few other guys who you could kind of debate with on who probably needs to be shown the door but God bless him, but if the defensive line makes no improvement over not one, not two, but three years' time, I I think Mark Ivey's got to go. Because, I mean, 
out of all of the push that Louisville gets in that front seven, 95% of it comes from the linebacking core. Yeah. Who was the last dominant defensive lineman that Louisville had? I mean, dominant, like a dog. D'Angelo Brown, maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, that you got to go all the way back to 2016, 17. That I mean, quite honest with you, to be quite honest with you, the defensive line stinks. Like, let's just call a spade a spade. Yaya Diaby had a, had great uh, quarterback hurry numbers, but outside of that, it, it was an offer. It was an offer. They, they didn't get better. Uh, Jock Turner was a disappointment. Malik Clark never really came on. Des Tell, uh, you know, dealt with injuries, but you never really heard anything out of him. I couldn't tell you where Henry Bryan and Jared Dawson are. I mean, and Jock uh, Turner. What, oh Zach my God, Edwards, I, had, I, mean, I had I had such high hopes for Jock Turner when he committed, like an All Conference guy coming out of the CUSA. I, I didn't think he was going to be a world beater, but I thought he'd be better than like third string on the depth chart. Yeah, right. And and look, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I, I'm going to push back on the Brian Brown thing because, uh, you know, I, I would be interested to have a conversation. And Vince, you could you could fit the bill as a football guy to talk me off the ledge here. But um, the cornerbacks outside of Cottrell Clark and even Clark this year, not good. Not, I mean, Greedy Vance had his moments. Trey Franklin, you know, had the interceptions, but they've not been great by any means. That's the position that he coaches. And then from a schematic standpoint, when games have been on the line to the point of um, Scott Satterfield having to answer, why are you dropping eight back and not rushing the quarterback? Why are you not blitzing? And Scott Satterfield is the one that's got to answer for that. We are in year three of this stuff, man. It's the same questions. And Matt, how many times have you heard in the press conference about dropping eight into coverage? I mean, how many yeah, times have you asked you you have you heard about the lack of pass rush? I mean, come on, we're in year three by now. If you can't get it out onto the field now, and I know they've inherited a, a lot of bad defense. Well, I don't want to say bad defensive linemen, but let's not sit here and act like Tiberius Peterson, Derek Dorsey, uh, even I mean Zach Edwards, Jadarian Boykin, Henry Bryant, Jared Dawson. These guys have done nothing. You know they they've been good, but you got a guy like Mason Riger who is a walk on out here becoming Mister Make a Play, and you got four star defensive linemen who can't even see the field. I mean, come on, come on, what are we doing here? I think that we just have to really evaluate the defense, not from a feeling standpoint. I, I know there's been potential with Brian Brown, but I just don't know if he's the guy. And it makes me sad because last year I said if Satterfield left that I would want them to hire Brian Brown. And I was dead serious about that. No, I, I was too. But to kind of counter that, since you and I don't see that on the Brian Brown thing, I think I, I'm about to state one coaching change that I know all three of us here can agree with. Somebody needs to be and offensive coordinator. Yes, that's not a co-offensive coordinator for title purposes, okay? I'm talking yes. a real offensive coordinator who calls the plays. Let Sat be the head coach, the boss man, the CEO, and for the love of God, Scott, let's delegate the play calling to somebody else. I, ben, I, I don't, do there think? were what some games, there were some games where Scott called good games, but I think there need there needs to be somebody's whose sole responsibility is to make sure the offense isn't dog shit. Okay, here's my problem. Quite frankly, 
Scott Scripps, because look, what have we said all? I know you're always working, so you don't get to see the group chat a lot of the times, Matt. But we talk about Scott Satterfield is in his bag when it's scripted Scott. Scripted Scott is one of the that best. Is true. That is true. Is one of the best things in college football. So what you need is somebody who can come in and call the plays after the script ends. We need a like a like a co-script offensive coordinator whose job is when the script ends, they call the plays. Because it seems to me that Satterfield in real time is is not always great at making game you know game decisions, right? I, I think we can say from a scheme schematic standpoint, we have seen that to be true. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. Yeah, no, they, you need somebody been, with eyes to come in and fix that. Yeah, po- post script, he has been wildly inconsistent. I'll give you that. Okay, where, uh, closing thoughts here. Let's this. hold on, hold on. Where I'm at with this is, I think we need a. I do think we need an offensive coordinator. But I think we need a non-app state guy. Like bring, I agree. bring we can run Sats offense, but bring in somebody that is not Hunter Brewer. Very more product of Hunter Brewer. Yes. Hunter Brewer. Let, yeah. Let Brewer. Run I was clamoring. I was clamoring for this before the season even started. Yeah. Like I, when, when, I was when, listening. When, I, yeah. I when Dwayne Ledford let, left for Atlanta, I was clamoring. I wrote about it. How Gunnar Brewer deserved to be OC, and when. Satterfield decided that he's just going to have all five offensive position coaches kind of delegate responsibilities. I I said right then and there that's a mistake, and look what happened. Yeah, it was a mistake. See some funky, crazy stuff if we get Brewer. We're definitely will not see any boring football. I promise you that much. I can guarantee you that every single wide receiver who has played for Louisville since 2019 would endorse that. In fact, one of the most interesting things about the Jordan Watkins transfer was the graphic, which usually I don't put any yep. weight in those. But did we notice the omission? He thanked oh, one coach it. and not the other, and that's telling, okay? He thanked Gunnar Brewer for his development, didn't mention Scott Satterfield. I don't, don't want to be petty, gossipy, high school drama, but, like, that seems like that's a little bit of a something there. And it tells you, okay, they respect Gunnar Brewer. That's the only internal hire um, I would respect at offensive coordinator. If Pete, if, if Scott Satterfield, no disrespect to Pete Thomas, Scott Satterfield hires Pete Thomas as his offensive coordinator. I quit. I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm walking away. Cause that just means we're like, no offense to Pete. Pete is in his first year as his quarterback coach, but if he hires Pete or if he goes out and hires Frank Ponce, no, I'm done. I'm not doing this. Cause we're just app state light at that point. I'm not doing it, man. I'm not doing it anymore. I, I, I Pete did a phenomenal Phenomenal no, job. great. Pete, Pete did a great oh, yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm with no. you. Guys. Pete did a great job. I, I think he's just not ready. He, he will be. He will be ready for that stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. Not, not yet by any means. I don't think he's ready to be an offensive coordinator. Yeah, I, exactly. I think Pete's got a bright future in coaching, but is he ready to be an OC at a Power Five school right now? I don't think so. No, uh, Louisville doesn't got- hire guys as offensive coordinator like Pete. That's what I'm saying, right? Like you hire, you go poach a Pete Thomas in five years, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you go out and you get that guy. You get the guy who's a proven coordinator that, uh, you know, has shown the ability to do it. Or, you know, you go to Alabama and you get their quarterback coach. That's different versus promoting somebody who's been coaching for two years. Anyways, I digress. We can all kind of agree here that something's got to give. We, it's like basketball. I keep comparing it to basketball last year. I, I could be way off base, but I think it's the perfect comparison. There's got to be changes. Hopefully we don't have any kind of blackmail NCAA violations that come out of <laughs> Yeah, right. We don't need, we don't need Matt going oh, into Matt, Matt needs to get his law degree to cover Louisville sports these days. I but, have uh, read so many NCAA press releases and sifted through so many law documents over 
over the past three freaking years because the NCAA. That's Esquire, oh Matt McGavick to you folks. Yeah, Esquire, yeah. attorney at law, Matthew McGavick. But no, um, you know, there's just there, there's a lot of, of things that are going to change. And, you know, we talked a lot um, as a fan base and on Twitter and, and in social media platforms about, um, you know, the transfer portal and basketball and, you know, how you just can't let every little transfer, you know, kind of sour you on your coach. And unfortunately for Satterfield, he doesn't have a lot of goodwill left up. There's going to be transfers, a lot of deflections. You're probably going to lose another uh, big, big name at some point along the way. Um, and I just don't know if Satterfield has got enough to, to withstand that. And that's probably where the breaking point comes in. But before we wrap up the show, we did this last week in the big three. I want to just briefly touch on uh, bowl season because obviously um, by the end of this weekend, we will know where Louisville will play the postseason football. Uh, of course, I would expect nothing less from our great journalist, Matt McGavick, than to have a great compilation of all of the bowl games and where Louisville is predicted. Um, be sure to check that out on the Louisville report. Uh, but I'm looking through this and again, a lot of, uh, of, just kind of mediocrity as I look through this, the Birmingham bowl against Missouri, the Tony, the tiger sun bowl in El Paso against Washington state pinstripe bowl, pinstripe bowl alert, Vince, you got your yes, tickets yes. and your flight ready for pinstripe, pinstripe bowl. Pinstripe bowl. Uh, not mad about the cheese it bowl in Orlando. Yeah, give um, me that cheese it bowl against Oklahoma. <laughs> my God, man. Can, can, can we just make sure that Spencer, Spencer Rattler is the quarterback and not Caleb Williams? Because He's already gone. He's already in the portal. Oh, that's right. See, that was, that's how it, the, the portal spins so fast these days. I can't keep up. But, I tell you um, what, though, some some of these matchups aren't bad because then you got the the Gasparilla Bowl. Oh God, these bowls name are, names are horrible. Uh, the Gasparilla Bowl against Florida, that's not awful. The Military Bowl against East Carolina, that's I mean ECU doesn't have the name brand air condition, but they're not bad. Uh, the Birmingham Bowl against LSU, so I mean LSU might whip their ass again. Um, the only one on my uh, bowl predictions or bowl projections, excuse me, that I didn't really like was the first responder bowl against freaking Utah State. That's the only one that I didn't like. Yeah, I don't like that because I'm afraid we'd lose Louisville, but lose that game. And I'd have to say, you know what? Yeah, we lost in the first responders bowl to Utah State. Utah State, yeah. <laughs> Question for you guys Is there any way that we could get paired up with App State in a bowl? No. 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 I don't think so. I'd have to check the ACC bowl tie-ins, but I'm I don't think they have very many bowls with tie-ins to the who are they with the Sun Belt? Yeah, cuz if I yeah. was a bowl, if I was a bowl committee, I'm looking at a 6 and 6 Louisville team and I'm like, well, I mean, you know App State travels well, you know they travel well for this game against Yeah, uh, this isn't the NCAA basketball tournament. This isn't the NCAA basketball tournament where we match up narratives so that we can have Louisville go up against Minnesota in the first round of the NCAA Well, apparently there are four four bowls with potential American athletic – no, wait, not American. Why am I looking at the American? What do you you think this is? I I mean, I know it's kind of struggled, Matt, but we didn't get demoted. Gosh. No, I thought thought App State was in the American for some reason. No, I I, I don't see any bowl matchups with – the Sun Belt, no, so it's not possible. Yeah, no, so it, it looks mostly like it's going to be SEC or the AAC is just kind of what I'm reading into. Uh, I would love the matchup with like a Washington State or I, I just want to see somebody that Louisville's not played against, you know, so like eliminate 
SMU, eliminate. Well, I guess they haven't really played SMU, but they played LSU a few years ago. I'm, I would prefer to not have to deal with the SEC just because we know that doesn't seem to go well for Louisville. So, so Oklahoma's out the door. <laughs> I mean, I'll take yeah. Well, Oklahoma's not technically the SEC yet, so maybe give me Oklahoma. No. Um, no. Yeah, no, we'll get we'll get blown out. But I guess give me Maryland, Washington State. I'd take a Missouri game. I feel like Louisville might get a win there, but. You win against Missouri and then like half of that annoying fan base that's always just cheers and rainbows and be like, look, they beat Missouri. Cards are back. Missouri's got a worse defensive line than Louisville. I remember one of the first moves in the entire coaching carousel was that Missouri fired their defensive line coach after like week five. How funny would it be, though, to see – because, you know, they always call Eli Drinkowitz, Sat Jr., to see them in the same room, like on the same field. They look exactly alike. Like, he's like Cable Scott Satterfield. That's I exactly what he is. <laughs> he is Cable Scott Satterfield. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. So, we're, we're – bowl season is going to be interesting. I, I'm thinking maybe we'll do something – after the bowl announcement Sunday, maybe Monday next week and, and start looking at that. But uh, regardless, Louisville's probably not going to play until middle of, or late December. So we've got uh, a lot of time on our hands to really kind of dive into things over the next couple of weeks. Any closing thoughts guys, before we get out of here, how many people do you think are even going to go to the bowl? Five. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I don't know. I don't know if anybody will. Three of I mean, them right here. Yeah. Right. Right. Matt. And then, I don't I don't know, man. I mean, you know, I, look, I love little football. I I want to say that I'll support it no matter what, but of course I hate losing. Um, if I had the means, I would go to a bowl game, but I can't blame anybody for not wanting to go. The product is just not what we expect it to be right now. And, um, you know, between now and the bowl season, I don't think they're going to get a ton better. So it's not like I think they're going to come out and set the world on fire and be back by any means. But uh, still want to see the support there so that, uh, you know, things don't just fall apart. But uh, no, signing week coming up uh, 15, 16 days from today, December 15th. Uh, we've got some some cool stuff in the works there um, to go through the, the class. But uh, but between now, tomorrow, next week, who knows what happens. Uh, Scott Satterfield could be on the moon by next Thursday, and it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, so we'll see. The world of college football is exciting. A lot of things are in store. Um, as always, at the end of the show, I encourage you to go and follow the guys here on this podcast. Matt McGavick, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore McGavick. Louisville Report, you can find them on Facebook, find them on Twitter. Uh, and then Vincent Lococo, just like it's spelled, just like it sounds. Jacob Lane 08, stateoflouisville.com, State of Louisville Podcast Network. We appreciate Appreciate you guys tuning in for the season. It's crazy that the regular season has come to an end. It feels like, Matt, just yesterday, you and I were just getting to know each other. And look at us now, buddy. God, I feel like I've aged five years. You look like it, man. I've aged five <laughs> years. You talk about aging, man. Jeez. Look like I'm falling apart over here. Not all of us can look as good as this young whippersnapper with the beard and the, and the cut. He's got the fresh fade. Yeah, Uh, it's hard hard to look this good. Yeah, it's hard to look this good. That's right. Well, again, thank you guys for tuning in. It has been an incredible regular season. Not going anywhere. Tons of content coming your way. Hopefully, things start to look upwards, and we're talking about some positive things with Louisville football in the next couple of weeks. We will catch you next time.